Welcome to episode 11 of season 2 of the Search with Panda podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 23rd of March 2022. My name is Jack Chambers, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Mr. Mark Williams-Cook, and today we will be talking about the sunsetting of Universal Analytics coming up in 2023, Google Analytics 4 tutorials and possible alternatives to Google Analytics 4, a new badge for low prices in the product browse feature, Google Unconference 2022, and Brighton SEO coming up in April 2022. Search for Canada is sponsored by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as SERP snippet validation, on-page analysis, href lang validation, page speed comparison, and tracking your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com SWC for free SEO tools systrix.com slash trends for trendwatch and systrix.com slash blog for all of their regular blog posts, some of which we'll be talking about later on in the show. Okay, we get to start with what we wanted to talk about last Wednesday, but the thing Google announced like an hour after we recorded It was literally minutes after we finished recording, yeah. So we record these uh, on, a, on a Wednesday, so we have time to kind of edit them and jack make them sound nice before monday and yeah as soon as we finished the episode last week the google analytics team or the google marketing platform team i should say on their blog which is just blog.google uh (laughs) published a post entitled prepare for the future with google analytics 4 (laughs) which kind of leads the way to them basically saying because we're taking away universal analytics. Pretty much. And you have no choice. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been the advice for a while, right? We knew this is going to come eventually. They're going to eventually move over to GA4. We've touched on GA4 a couple of times on the show already. Even since I've been here, we've touched on it a couple of times in the last 10 episodes or so in season two. But yeah, actually confirming we're going to get a date where universal analytics is going to cut off. The fact that SEO Twitter exploded <laughs> as soon as this happens because... A lot of people, and again, as we've touched on previously, a lot of people don't like GA4. We apparently have one person here in the studio who does, but yeah, yeah the only person I think I've ever met who does. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think people saw this happening as quickly as it did. Everyone was discussing, saying, yeah, they're probably going to make us do this at some point. And it, it felt like there was kind of no lead up in that. Google has been pushing, and I think we commented, like you said, a few episodes ago, when you kind of set up analytics now, the default one is, hey, use GA4 rather than the whole, you can run this in parallel. It's just, yeah, use this. And a lot of people were saying, okay, it's still buggy. The reports don't give us kind of what we need. And I think that there's some truth in that. There's definitely been problems. You know, our team uses GA4 on some clients. And there has definitely been just errors in in that interface. Especially when we're connecting it with Data Studio and other interfaces and things like that. Yeah, we've seen yeah. a fair bit. Yeah. And but I, I think I I feel a lot of this is still down to people hate change. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean the you know, the kind of broad public example is when Facebook had their big UI change that's probably a couple of years ago now and everyone was like oh I hate this I'm leaving Facebook and 
people kind of moaned for a bit. Facebook just stood their ground. And then that became what Facebook was. So when they change it again, people just complain all over again. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's loads of psychology behind that about, you know, people just getting used to doing things in a way and it's frictionless. And then you change it and you create friction. And, you know, the Steve Crunk thing, of you made me think. So I, <laughs> I hate you. Um, so I think some of it is is to do with that. Some key dates. So this may be, this still may be news to some people because I was onboarding a client yesterday and looking and they hadn't heard about this and they're still running Universal Analytics. Some key dates and why this really is a big announcement is that, you know, I, I think people care more about the fact that Universal Analytics, they're going to stop processing new hits on the 1st of Ju July, 2023. So this means, you know, even if you just keep your... Uh, Universal Analytics running is just going to stop collecting data. If you're paying the, I don't know, if it's like 100, 150 grand a year for 360, that's going to stop on October the 1st, 2023. But then this is what I found surprising. They're saying they will retain your data for at least six months from each of those dates. But then obviously it's going to go i assume if they you know if they're saying yeah. it's not going to be retained anymore and what surprised me about that was that there's no option basically to pay to to keep it which makes me think that this move the speed of this move the fact that they're not offering data retention has more to do with legal implications of the type of data they've collected all the various privacy laws which have changed massively over the last 10 years and they're just sitting on a massive kind of legal hand grenade and they're like, no, we just want to flush all of this. And then we've, you know, we've got a clean slate. Absolutely. There's a direct quote here from the blog post from the Google team. As we, always, we will link to it in the show notes, search.withcanada.co.uk. Here's the direct quote. And though Universal Analytics offers a variety of privacy controls, Google Analytics 4 is designed with privacy at its core, to provide a better experience for both our customers and their users designed with privacy at its core i think totally sums up what you were just saying there mark about the insurmountable amount of issues there's been with like recent introductions of gdpr and cookie problems and all kinds of stuff these massive tech companies that have tracking data and user data and ip addresses and all kinds of stuff that is now becoming more and more troublesome and from a legal standpoint i think this is very clearly a google move a conscious move from google to move away from that kind of stuff and really build a safety net for themselves going forward so they don't land in with hundreds of millions of dollars of lawsuits and sanctions and stuff in the future for sure if um if you have been hiding from ga4 i have <laughs> like many people have <laughs> You might want to check out our episode 89 in episode, uh, ep uh, sorry, in season one that we'll link to because amongst other people, we've interviewed Krista Seiden, who is one of the kind of leading experts on GA4. She actually worked for seven years leading project management efforts across the Google marketing platform. So there are few people, <laughs> I would say, probably, you know, on the planet <laughs> better to speak to or listen to rather about GA4 than Krista. Um, so we did a whole interview about kind of getting started with GA4 and what it's all about and the differences. So that's a really nice place to start if you just need some hand-holding and some intro. I watched a little tutorial video not too long ago. I know I recommended it to the 
rest of the Canda team and on one of our weekly catch-ups recently. Uh, from Analytics Mania on YouTube, uh, also real name, Julius Federovicius. I apologize, Julius, if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly. Basically, Julius has a 2021 and now an updated 2022 GA4 tutorial for beginners that I found really, really useful to just kind of wrap my head around some of the basics about setting up accounts and moving over from Universal Analytics to GA4. It's about an hour long, like 57 minutes, something like that on YouTube, and a really, really helpful little kind of summary of a lot of the key factors we're all going to be encountering when we have to move over to GA4. Yeah, I think there's um, on the silver lining, I guess, if you're working in digital and analytics and SEO in PPC, you know, there is a, there's an opportunity here for there's going to be a shortage of people that are good at GA4 because there are people who will just be hiding under a rock until <laughs> until doomsday has come and until gone. Until they're dragged out from under that rock, kicking and screaming. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, the quicker you do either scale up in GA4 or other analytics platforms or all of the different kind of options that are available, the, you know, the better. If you've got existing clients, you need to be talking to them about okay, how do we move across data we've got? How do we keep what we've got? How do we start tracking in a new way, um, you know, moving away? Because a lot of these platforms now I, I have noticed, so when, when we are going through these alternatives to Google Analytics, one of the main differences between GA4 and Universal Analytics is Universal Analytics is the very familiar session-based, page view-based uh, metrics, which we've had for years and years. But actually, when we were looking through the alternatives, most of the new alternatives are the same as GA4 in that they're event-based. This is kind of the future of analytics. And this is all wrapped up with like what you said around, you know, cookie-less and all the kind of things we do with... Adhering to all those privacy laws that are still growing to this day as, as legislators and lawmakers understand technology better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a Or, or not in some case. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a quick look actually at uh, Krista's Twitter to see if she uh, had anything recent she was saying about GA4. And um, she actually posted her pet peeve, which I hadn't heard yet, but this is uh, from, from Krista saying, pet peeve, people calling GA4 just G4. It's not the fourth version of Google, not Google's fourth most important product, etc. It's the fourth version of Google Analytics, hence GA4 slash rant. I had seen G4 a few times and had assumed they were talking about the video games channel from back in the day <laughs> that recently resurged. But yeah, and they're not talking about G4, the video game channel. Is that like a YouTube channel? Yes, it's now on YouTube. Okay. It used to be a TV show back in the day, but now it's on YouTube. And one was one of the OG sort of video game YouTube channels. Okay. We're, not talk we're not talking about G4. No, <laughs> I never saw that. Oh, it's, um, it's really I, good. I used to watch Games Master. Oh, I love a bit of Games Master. And, uh, and Bits, which nice. was on yeah. really late. Yeah. 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 Anyway. It's GA4, not G4. Get in line, Krista says. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You can listen to anyone, listen to Krista. So let's talk about some alternatives. I had a look, there's some, um, I kind of went through some Twitter threads just to see what alternatives people had been suggesting and um, kind of what ways around people were looking at doing this. But some people are obviously just being like, yeah, fine, we've got to use GA4. Other people, I think out of spite, are kind of like, Nope, we're going to use something else now. Pretty much, yeah. And interestingly, when I was digging into the issues, you know, because again, this is like you have people complain about something, but it's important to actually say, okay, well, what are you not satisfied about? What are the problems? And with GA4, it seems to be a lot of issues with kind of the front end um, and actually using GA4 and accessing the, the data and useful reports. So 
one of the things I'm seeing a lot of people doing is using BigQuery as a front end. And this is one of the big advantages actually of GA4, which is there is a data export now to BigQuery for free, which didn't exist in Universal Analytics. So um, I believe you used to have to pay for that in 360 to, to get that. But this is something that's kind of native out of the box with GA4, and you only pay for the actual data storage and data querying when you exceed the limits of the Google Cloud free tier. So I think it's your you're kind of charged after one terabyte of querying per month and 10 gig of storage off the top of my head. That may have changed, but basically it's pretty cheap for a, a large amount of data. And I think that's one option we're going to be exploring now, moving towards using BigQuery for, for all clients. I think it's certainly got merits. Obviously we, you know, we use a kind of a mashup with Data Studio at the moment, but I think this is gonna be kind of more suitable ongoing. Another alternative I've seen outside of GA4 is called Piwik. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> Pi Piwik. I like Piwik. Piwik. It's yeah. P-I-W-I-K. Piwik Pro. And I had a look at this. It's got a core plan that's basically free for up to 500,000 monthly actions. So again, actions, this is event-based event -based, yep, tracking. Yep. It's got 14 months data retention. And again, this is a modular system that has analytics, a tag manager, so you can deploy tracking from uh, you know, other platforms and a consent manager as well. So again, a lot of these platforms are now looking at making sure they're, they're compliant um, as well. And I believe you found one called Plausible. Yeah, I, again, I did a similar kind of thing you were talking about earlier where I kind of scoured through Twitter, seeing the replies, hashtag GA4, what are people talking about, that kind of thing. And Plausible Analytics kind of sells itself again going for that privacy angle. I know we touched on a few previously where they really kind of harp on the no cookies, fully compliant with GDPR, et cetera, et cetera. That is the kind of thing Plausible is going for. I saw some hesitancy from some other SEOs and some developers and things like that about Plausible. Uh, I haven't used it myself, I hasten to add, so this is not a recommendation or anything like that. It's just something I saw in conversation. The fact that it kind of sells itself as a lightweight and open source analytics platform, a lot of people find that a lot of the more lightweight platforms are not as interesting and diverse with the data they actually collect and stuff like that and might not be suitable for larger accounts or agencies and things like that. So do your research, go and have a look. But they do have a pretty clear kind of pricing platform based on the amount of traffic you're basically getting through. And interestingly, it is traffic-based, not event-based, or at least in their wording on their pricing page, going everything from £9 a month for 10K a month in terms of traffic, all the way up to £169 a month for 10 million visitors to your website a month, and pretty much everything in between from 100,000, 500,000, a million and a couple of other ones between there as well. So yeah, a wide range there. Have a look, do your research. I know one we touched on recently as well was uh, Matomo. We touched on that a couple of episodes ago. So, I mean, Matomo has got a self-hosted version that's kind of free because you're hosting it. And then they have the cloud-hosted versions. Um, that's a, kind of a similar price. So for what they call 100,000 hits, which, I mean, I don't know how everyone's using their terminology here. I mean, kind of a hit is a technically a server request yeah so i i i'm guessing that so means... we've got five hundred thousand monthly actions five hundred thousand traffic 
100,000 hits. Yeah, so I think um, we need to make sure we're comparing apples and apples yeah. here. Um, I'm guessing that means like events. Um, that would be my assumption from the word yeah. hit, yeah. But that's £29 a month. So again, not hugely expensive. I've seen a lot of people, we, we mentioned Matam obviously a, a few episodes ago, um, it, it's, I think, by far the most popular alternative I've seen spoken about. Same here, yeah. Um, a few people, though, that, again, I've seen is, you know, with our big clients, we just have to do GA4 because that's kind of industry standard, yep. follow the herd kind of thing. And there's, you know, nobody got fired for hiring IBM approach of if you bet with Google, you're unlikely to come unstuck. Whereas, yep. you know, if you convince some blue chip company to go on to whatever third party cloud analytics and then they um you know they go bust or they get bought and everything changes in two years then you could be in a very difficult situation yeah so when it comes to you know especially like retention of data long term i think a lot of bigger companies will just bet on big names on the idea that they're going to be around but that that said um there's lots of options now in terms of you know you've got this data collection side of things and then you've got this kind of warehousing. So one suggestion made by Jerry White that I hadn't heard of before was Snowplow and Snowflake, which I had a quick look at. And Snowplow, um, I'll read you the little one liner from their site. They generate complete, accurate and well-structured event data across all platforms and channels in a common format with the Snowplow behavioral data platform. So again, sounds very similar to GA, event-based, you know, whether it's app, website, it's collecting the same events. Snowflake is their data warehousing solution. So then that's about actually working with the JSON schema that Snowplow has generated and storing that. But you can use Snowplow with other uh, warehousing solutions like Azure or AWS. So there's there's all kinds of options about actually which you know, you don't have to just use the Google route or you don't have to just use a Matoma route. You, you can kind of decide which one of these platforms is best for you. And there's, you know, you can collect the data and then you can store it somewhere else and warehouse it because some of these analytics platforms as well obviously have limitations on how long they're going to keep data for. You mentioned earlier about um, Luke in our team, who is our our cheerleader for GA4 <laughs> internally. He's doing a great job. I actually, so Luke, you know, I do actually agree with Luke. Yeah. You know, there's lots of reasons why moving to this event-based kind of stuff is good when we're talking about, especially joining up data with other marketing platforms, CRMs, contextual data. Um, when we want to leverage data as an input for like machine learning models, we've touched again a few times about all of the kind of wild AI tools that are pretty much off the shelf now that you can you know, put data into and get helpful analysis out of different ways to visualize data as well in different tools and being able to make sure if it is compliant, the data, then, you know, you can store it for, for longer because you haven't got people's personal information, basically. So I think there's, there is a lot of benefits to doing this and, you know, we just kind of have to get on with it. I think the long-term storage of data is such a contentious issue when it comes to Google Analytics. And again, talking to Luke about it the other day. I sit next to Luke in the studio, so we're going to have a lot of conversations about this kind of thing. And even with all the, the pros that may come with GA4, Google talking about the very limited window on which you can store data for, 
think warehousing and stuff is going to be essential going forward. And think about how you can kind of store an archive and warehouse your current data you have on your analytics platforms or whatever else analytics platforms you're using because we seem to be moving in this direction where long-term storage of data and long-term tracking is becoming less and less common because it clashes with those privacy laws and those data laws and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think we're going to have to look into some serious long-term storage of tracking data and things to be able to do things like year-on-year analysis, which I feel is such a key thing in SEO, especially looking at kind of long-term strategies. You know, you've been working on a site or with a client for two years, five years, whatever it is, being able to track stuff from, oh, when we started, it looked like this. Two years in, it looks like this. Now five years in, it looks like this. You won't be able to do that going forward necessarily. So useful unless you're trying to compare it to a pandemic year. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't talk about the pandemic. Just do that, that time is a flat circle. We don't talk about the pandemic thing. <laughs> yeah. The amount of clients we've onboarded recently were like, oh yeah, we had a really great, or we had a really terrible 2021 and 2020. So can you compare to 2019 statistics? Like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. It's a tricky one. But yeah, definitely something you guys should be thinking about, whether that's looking into alternatives and, as we said, links to all the options and links to all these kind of things, including the information about GA4, the tutorials, uh, the episode and discussion Mark had with Krista in the past, all available at search.withcanda.co.uk. So we're at the midpoint in the show. Let's dive into some more information from Systrix. And they have highlighted an interesting thing in their blog this week, talking about the EU sanctions that have affected the Russia Today website, which is rt.com, for those of you who don't know. I've actually seen it basically completely drop out of Google, which is very, very unusual if you've uh, been aware and keeping track of data for this kind of thing in the, in the long term. Uh, Johannes Buse, who has written this article, is talking about how unusual this is. So EU sanctions are now affecting many different Russian companies and Russian sites and things like that across the European Union and Russian Today. The news site is no exception. Interestingly, they even dive into the UK side of things because thanks to Brexit here in the UK, we are not as part of the EU. These sanctions don't necessarily apply. So we still have access and Google is still indexing rt.com for us here in the UK. So it's an interesting thing to kind of compare and contrast data from the EU side of things, looking at things like Google Search Console, and then looking at the UK side of things and seeing the rankings for keywords across both as well. Systrix do a great job of diving into that data and kind of comparing and trusting and looking at kind of the data side of things, what's happening with the world and its relationship with Russia at the moment and all the emission decisions and sanctions that are happening. It's a really interesting kind of digital marketing look at something that most people probably don't want to spend their time thinking about or talking about while they're working, but it is an interesting piece of data to dive into nonetheless. And of course, we always like to touch on Trendwatch here on Search with Canada, and we'll have another one coming up very soon. Coming up on Thursday, the 7th of April, we will have April's Trendwatch. And if you don't know, it's your first time listening to the show, if you've never heard me talk about Systrix before. Trendwatch looks at thousands of search volume developments and every month analyzes 10 new trends and the backstory that's associated with them. We've touched on everything from TikTok octopuses all the way through to, I talked about air fryers on an episode where Mark wasn't here and spent five minutes talking about how much I love my air fryer. All kinds of interesting trends. 
And kind of relating to the TikTok octopus, perhaps, we'll be talking about an axolotl squish mallow coming up in April. So get excited for that, listeners. And if you'd like to get ahead of the game and sign up for that newsletter, you can go to systrix.com slash trends. You can sign up for the Trendwatch newsletter. All 10 trends delivered straight to your inbox every single month. So we touched on some options for a lovely little badge. I know you love that 10 pixel badge we talked about a few weeks ago, Mark. We're getting another badge being tested by Google in search results at the moment. We're going to end up like, you know, how the scouts yes. have all their little badges <laughs> down their arm. That would be got, the website. Have you got your product stories and your lower price badges? And, yeah. <laughs> and my partner's mum is a scout leader, so I'll go and ask her for one of the, like sashes <laughs> and stuff when we can get all our little Google official badges. Maybe that could be like a spin-off store we could do where we make physical versions of all the Google badges. Just so to can... undigital your marketing with these. You can add it to your staff uniforms. Oh my god! I'm <laughs> looking like Navy admirals or something like that. <laughs> like the North Korean army with yeah, all the metal exactly, sashes. Exactly. Yeah. So it was highlighted by Brian Breiselben. Again, apologise if you if I've mispronounced your name there, Brian. Uh, highlighted to us on Twitter. If you beat Google's understanding of an average retail price, you get this neat little with a little star emoji as well. It has a little sparkle emoji. Lower priced badge. When using the product browse feature in the SERP, I expect to see Google testing other placements in the future, and this is definitely something to watch. And it is literally a nice little blue sparkle, and it says lower price. And basically, if you're listing something, or if you find something that is lower than the average price for the rest of those articles, and the example Brian uses here is a coffee table from Ikea that is selling for at $65. Usually, coffee tables are like $200, so it's highlighted there as this is lower than the average price. Cool little feature. And uh, get yourself some badge. Add that to your badge collection. <laughs> PPC people. If you're using Google Shopping. Add it to your badges. Collect them all now. I thought it'd be nice to round off this episode just with a couple of events because Google Unconference 2022 is coming up. And if you have not heard of it or do not know what Unconference is, uh, it's the third edition of this interactive virtual event from Google. It actually started during lockdown, um, during the obviously the pandemic in 2020, when Google was having conferences and then suddenly you could not have conferences anymore. I, ha I hate that we're on the third annual thing that started in the pandemic. I hate <laughs> everything about that sentence. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to spend too long in that. Yeah, let's, let's not dwell on that. Let's not dwell on that. <clears throat> so what's interesting about unconferences, as you may be able to guess, is it is not a conference. And by not a conference, it means that there are no speakers and there are no presentations and it is not recorded. So what on earth <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's basically a collection of group discussions and each of those discussions have one or two facilitators and their job is just to make sure there is like a, a starting point for everyone to have the conversation. And they just help keep momentum throughout the session and they make sure everyone gets a chance to talk. And if you want to participate, um, you just need to kind of have a mic. Uh, camera's optional. Uh, as, as I say, it's not recorded. You can actually as well apply to become a, a facilitator. But this is open for registration from Wednesday. So that's assuming you're listening to this on Monday. It's open for registration on the 30th of March, which is Wednesday. The actual event itself 
is on the 27th of April at four o'clock British summertime running to seven o'clock p.m. British summertime. So if you haven't attended before, really cool discussions, uh, very different to the usual kind of format if you haven't checked out before. I will put a link as, a, as, as usual in the show notes for that. And I wanted to mention as well the, the biggie, which is Brighton SEO, which is coming up in a couple of weeks time. So Brighton SEO runs the 7th to 8th of April. Um, there's actually some training and fringe events on the 6th as well, the day before. Um, if you can't guess, it's in Brighton. <laughs> it's at <laughs> the clues the, in the name. Yeah, right. It's the, at the Brighton Centre. And I saw someone asking the other day on, on Twitter, like that was speaking there, asking Kelvin, the, one of the founders, if it's the biggest in Europe or something, because they, they were speaking and they wanted to kind of put it on their CV or whatever. And uh, I think he said it was easily the largest SEO conference in the world. I was like, kind of like, oh, that's surprising. But then I was like, not really, I guess, because SEO is, you know, it feels big when you're inside it, but it's not really, I mean, it's still pretty niche. Like a TARDIS. Uh, <laughs> bigger on the inside. <laughs> that's one of your references. I actually got, despite not being a there we Doctor go. Who I haven't person. watched Doctor Who in nearly 10 years. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, largest SEO conference in the world, I think, Asterix. Uh, loads of talks. So I've just got a dozen here I picked. AI and MarTech as a game changer to empower SEO strategy. An introduction to advanced schema auditing. How do you optimize the world's largest website? How they teach you to be creative at Google. Avoiding the pitfalls of international SEO. Brand versus SEO. How to win allies and influence brand guardians. How to incorporate machine learning in your internal link audit auditing. DuckDuckGo, privacy and the future of search. EAT, have we been looking at it backwards? Uh, goodbye to SEO F-ups. <laughs> Learn how to set an SEO quality assurance framework. So there's way more talks than that. But as you can see from that cross-section, there are kind of practical talks that tell you what you need to be doing. There's kind of inspirational talks from various people that have worked different places to share experience. There's theoretical talks there. So there's pretty much something for everyone. Um, I checked the... <laughs> So this year, we've got a few of us from Canada going down. Um, I'm doing a talk this year. Uh, my one's going to be about zero volume keywords and just kind of using them in your SEO strategy. Effective zero volume keyword research on why it's important by Mark Williams. -Kirk. That's the one. There you go. And I actually checked the last time I spoke at Brighton SEO was in 2010. Wow. And I think... I don't know if I knew what SEO was then. So every I, I was, single person, I was 19. every single person that attended Brighton SEO that year came to my talk. Because it was in a room of 100 people? Oh, not 100. I think it was like 30. Oh, maybe? wow. Yeah. It was pretty small. And now to scale up, what's the, uh, yeah, it's, the, the it's, current auditorium <laughs> attendance level? It's a few level? thousand. It's, it's about 3,000 yeah. according so to the guide. And it's really amazing, actually, what Kelvin kind of built. He'll, he'll do his kind of story, I think, again, if it, you're the if it's your first time there, but um, it was really interesting, the first few, how far people were traveling for a really small, at the time, really small, basically get together because the industry was so small and now it's obviously grown out. But even if you're in a position where you look at a lot of these talks and you're kind of like, oh, I know a lot of this, you know, big old, big head. <laughs> it's a really good place to actually meet a lot of people because I speak to a lot of people online yes think of all the people you talk to on twitter or you follow on linkedin or whatever it is you can actually meet them in person including mark and 
and and even me, I guess. Some people follow <laughs> me also. <laughs> yeah, and I I think that's kind of cool, like because you build up an image at least in your head of of what these people are like, and it's cool meeting them. And... How tall do you think Mark is? Though? Yeah, exactly. You're gonna, you're gonna find out if you're you attend Brighton SEA. You're gonna find out. Six yeah. foot eight. Yeah. All that. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't been, it's worthwhile, and yeah, really nice kind of social things. There's lots of kind of parties and meals going on. There's a big and... karaoke party the Thursday night, which is the night of the 6th you touched on earlier. And yeah, we'll be there. So tweet at us, come and say hello. You might be doing karaoke. I'm definitely be doing karaoke. Yeah, and I will 100%. definitely not be. What a team. <laughs> we've we've signed up me and a couple of the other Canada guys to do karaoke and Mark's just going to drink and watch and take the mickey out of us. I think it's the plan, right? I'm just, just going to film it for future like appraisals and stuff. I'm going to drink and know things. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make a fool of myself like I do in this show pretty much every week. Okay, I think that's everything we've got time for. We'll be back one week's time, which will be Monday, the 4th of April. And I hope you have a lovely week and I hope we do see you at Brighton SEO. Thank you.